are live once again. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> I decided to go live one more time with a similar conversation that we had uh, just a couple days ago. Um, welcome. If you're new to this conversation, uh, I am Dr. Nima Romani and I'm a chiropractor and I left my practice because I made a startling discovery about health, what causes people to come in to see me in the first place with their chronic pain issues, chronic issues, you know, in general. Uh, and um, now I lead a global community of cycle breakers. It led me down a path from the work that I did to looking and trying to come up with a solution to my own, what I called entrepreneurial anxiety. Uh, I thought it was really came strong when I first started practice. I felt like a total hypocrite helping people with health related problems and dealing with like really painful anxiety. So I went on this search to figure that out and it just led me down an upstream path. And um, I can't believe I'm here. Uh, I, I like it's been a wild ride and I really love telling the story of it because so that you understand I'm not coming at you from some sort of a context of, oh, I'm trying to be some doctor that is a guru and an expert on uh, narcissism, on codependency, on trauma. I, I'm not an academic. I haven't written any papers on uh, research articles I've done. I'm not a researcher. I'm not an academic. I'm an actual clinician who who uh, really has become obsessed with getting outcomes in, 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 a, in a system, in a medical system that is obsessed with <clears throat> diagnosing and labeling so that they can get insurance coverage and then telling you what you have as a disorder that you're a victim to so that you can be hooked on a medicine, medicine or a medication or a treatment for the rest of your life because our current scientific conventional methodologies can't come up with a solution to what you're dealing with. You have osteoarthritis. And so patients would come in with these diagnoses all the time. And I was like, the diagnosis isn't why you're sick you have, you know, everyone's got the same problem. <laughs> we don't have to pathologize it. I adjust them. They get up off the table and they're like, oh my God, I feel so much better. And I'm like, well, I haven't taken away your osteoarthritis. I can't remove osteoarthritis with an adjustment. So how the fuck do you feel better? <laughs> Maybe these labels and diagnoses that we're all kind of obsessed with and we hang our hats on and we identify with and we say, this is who I am. And we go to support groups for these, these things, these things that are outside of us. Maybe, maybe they're just labels put on by people who profit from having you unconscious of how to actually heal. And so I began my journey that way. And it was through my kind of looking at my own anxiety that I went on an inward journey. And here I am, uh, one divorce later, several failed relationships later, not realizing that my relational habits, my relational dynamics were not separate from my anxiety. This was the journey that I went on. I was trying to heal my anxiety. It was like, just like everybody else. I got anxiety. I got panic attacks. How do I do it? Whoa. What I realized is that healing anxiety is a spiritual journey down into understanding your relational dynamics through your primary attachments. 
and I saw a link between my primary attachments, which is my caregivers, my mother and father, my Persian parents who had me and my twin brother when they were in their early 30s. And at a very young age, they left Iran to escape religious persecution. They're Baha'is escaping a, re a religious persecution. We, I was raised in a Baha'i household and to come to Canada and while we were four years old. So unknowingly, that energy of oppression, of, of uprooting, of starting over, uh, added on to my, my, the childhood traumas of my parents, who my father, uh, at the age of 14, his mother died suddenly. He went from being like the godsend uh, golden child to his, to his mother, the, the firstborn boy out of, a, uh, out of cousins and all these girls. Here he is, and he's like, you know, he can do no wrong, which is a form of trauma to a child when you raise them and you completely just placate them and support, 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 keeping them stuck, juvenile and dependent. And then immediately he his mother dies at the age of 14. And my father never really understood or had anyone to show him how to grieve. So that grief became crystallized, ossified in his nervous system. And he dissociated from emotions. And from there, he, you know, those were the makings of, uh, you know, and, and then plus the trauma of leaving and then the pressure of having, you know, two kids at a young age and my, my parents codependent relationship, you now are myself and my twin brother raised in a, in a soup of codependency of, of the narcissistic codependent cycle who they themselves deeply loving, lovely people didn't understand trauma, didn't understand how to uh, connect emotionally with, with the child. And like many Persian households, uh, the child, children become kind of an extension of the parent and all of the shames and the cultural norms, boom, get downloaded. And there's parentification that happens. Parentification meaning when the child is expected to step up and perform duties that a parent would, whether it's, you know, emotion, taking care of the emotional needs of a parent, constantly listening to, you know, gripes about the other person, oh, your father is this, your mother is that, and, and getting in the middle of that. That I didn't know. I thought that was just normal. You know, it's just normal. All families do it. My, my other Persian households, we would, my friends, we would get together and we would talk about all the relationship challenges of our parents and how we would get involved. And I didn't know at the time that that's a, that's, you know, that's a small T trauma where a child uh, learns and conditions to, to abandon himself and his emotions because they were never met and take care of other people. And so this kind of, without really um, meaning it, this isn't really the, the intent, but we then get conditioned to become codependent. And it, it becomes like the fishbowl, the dirty fishbowl we're born into. Like we can't see that it's dirty water. It's a fishbowl of dirty water that we are born into, that our parents are born into. And we just think that that's normal and that's what love is. That love, we get the message as children that love is transactional. That love, I must perform, I must achieve a certain this, that, the other, of qualification, of performance. I have to work for love. And this creates this, creates this 
um, kind of dysfunctional uh, family dynamic that causes unworkability later on in life. And we don't even know why, but we then start to mirror these patterns in our love relationships when we hit our teens and later on and have no idea how much we are at the effect of these unresolved attachment wounds, attachment injuries with our parents. And we don't even know that they're injuries. Many of them we know of if there's sexual abuse, if there's physical abuse, these are the big T traumas that we all kind of get. We know, uh, by the way, that's my 15 month old. He's now discovering, if you can see, hear him in the in the microphone here, he's discovering his voice. And so he's literally looking into my face and screaming at the top of his lungs. And I could feel my body go into state of like shock and a panic because it brings me back to, you know, being screamed at as a child. <laughs> so this is evidence that our children are here to expose and bring up all of our unresolved wounds as an opportunity to parent ourselves while we're parenting them. That's kind of, that's conscious parenting. Um, that's the ideal. That's what happens once you're doing your inner work. You're able to see that and to separate that and for me to not be reactive to my son and not be, you know, the way that I received, the parenting that I received and to be joining of him and to lead him rather than to, uh, you know, shame him for using his voice. And so these are all little indicators these are all little indicators, little nuances of parenting that our parents really unfortunately didn't learn, didn't know how important it was, didn't see the value of it. You know, they were raised in a children are, you know, meant to be seen and not heard, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. So it becomes a very um, parent centered, disciplinary, authoritarian type of focus uh, parenting uh, it leaves that especially in, you know, in Persian culture, Indian cultures, uh, Chinese. And so it's a, it's a interesting thing when I do clubhouse and people come up and 100% of the time, somebody comes up who's East Indian, someone who comes up, who's Chinese, somebody who comes up and they're like, yeah, I get anxiety and panic attacks. And I'm like, yeah, sister, I know brother, I know exactly why, because it was my journey. The reason why I'm sharing this with you now as a retired chiropractor was because it led me on a journey to finding the root of my own anxiety. And I searched high and low, uh, tried everything, personal development, and it wasn't until I learned about family systems and understanding the mechanisms of this whole narcissistic codependent kind of cycle dynamic that I was merged into and I didn't even know. Uh, once I learned how to break free from that matrix of intergenerational trauma, matrix means womb, uh, matrix means womb. So it means you were born into it. The matrix is the womb, <laughs> like you're born into. If you watch, remember the movie, The Matrix, Neo was kind of plugged into the matrix, into a womb. We are encased in a womb of intergenerational trauma and we're swimming in it and we don't even know it. It is so insidious, this small T trauma, and it's fueled by shame. It's fueled by guilt. It's fueled by 
I really want to, this is how it showed up on a client call today. <clears throat> I was talking to a client and, and she was in tears and codependent, of course. And it was her first call in, in our uh, intimacy upgrade program. And she was really wanting to break free from this and have freedom in her, in her marriage and freedom in her relationships and have her self-worth again. That was really the symptoms that she shows up with. Let me know if that resonates with you. But you know, she, with tears in her eyes, she said, I feel like I really want to step up, but I'm afraid of making my husband jealous. Uh, like I, I, he really gets threatened when I step up. I'm like, yeah, isn't that interesting? How common is it when I hear someone say, um, especially, well, it, it does, it's not exclusive to women because it happens both sides. Um, but it's far more common because the women are the ones that, you know, will reach out and they really want to heal from this. And it happens the other way too, but more commonly will, will the woman will say, um, I really want to step up, but I'm afraid of what my husband would think. Uh, I, 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 he, he, he loses his shit. He gets super duper triggered and we get into huge conflict when I, you know, achieve something or when I'm stepping up a lot of times, uh, the, the big hindrance that a lot of codependents uh, who are trying to heal and they reach out and they're like, I'm ready, I'm ready to do the work. And then immediately they're like, wait, can I just check with my husband? Wait, I really want to see, I really want to heal from codependency. I'm ready, but um, we, I really don't feel comfortable unless I have his approval. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And wh why are you why did you, why are we having this conversation in the first place? Yeah, I really want to heal from my codependency, but, but I don't really want to, I still want to be a slave and I'm being facetious here. Um, and I'm just kind of you doing an avatar, a character, a caricature so that you can see that this is part of your shadow. If you resonate with the role of codependent and feeling like you're a slave and deeply having this deep desire to want to leave, just know that it's like an invisible electric fence. <laughs> I have to sit there and go, okay, like I have to call them out on it because I... Healing codependency is really about living an authentic life. And you don't realize that how manipulative codependency is, how much masks you have to wear and how much you use excuses. You use all these excuses and then you blame other people, which I really want to share with you guys from helping work, work and see codependents actually heal and the ones that have zero chance. I'm like, would you like to, I was like, all right, I'm going to do a really controversial, uh, uh, podcast clubhouse, Facebook live video and, and say, look, if this offends you, okay, that's fine. Please hit the unsubscribe button. Uh, you know, you don't have to get hostile and abusive. <laughs> Ironically, the most abusive people are the ones who have felt abused in the past. So when I talk and I speak the truth, it's not comfortable. It doesn't make me very popular with a lot of people. Um, but that's just my own work to be giving myself permission to tell the truth anyway, the uncomfortable truth. And here it is. We know who, who, who actually works and who don't even bother, don't even bother because it's, 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 you have a lot more work to, 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 you have a lot further to go. If you really want to stop kidding yourself, let's just get real. Let's get a hundred percent truth, hundred percent transparency, because we don't have a lot of time. There's not a lot of time to dilly-dally. And chances are, if you're in the codependency camp and you're wanting to heal, you've done therapies 
what what you'll notice is that these therapies are actually just fucking shit shit sessions where you're just venting and you're having somebody just validate your venting story and say, oh, you're so innocent and they're the bad one and you're the empath, you're blameless and you're just so, oh, you're so good. You're so good. They're evil. Splitting, that's called splitting. It's a psychological phenomenon called splitting. It's a narcissistic defense strategy, us versus them, angel, demon, monster, like blameless angel come on just stop it <laughs> i want your healing and it, you, you we can't heal unless we get to the truth so let's talk truth do i have your permission to tell the truth the uncomfortable truth the reason why i'm here not as an academic not as an uh, not as a uh, kind of a psychiatrist who uh promotes you know any type of psychotherapy type of thing or diagnosing or treating any conditions i'm not interested in that i'm just interested in sharing with you what i had to go through uh, in order to break free from this toxic kind of push-pull dynamic, which essentially what I want to educate you is called a trauma bond. It's that feeling of, oh, so familiar, something familiar about you. It's that experience of wanting to come in and rescue this person because it gives you a sense of validation. It gives you a sense of strength. It gives you a sense of identity. And it's also being that wounded child that just wants to be swooped up and taken care of by someone. That happens. That's the foundational kind of uh, attachment with this, with this, uh, the codependency cycle, if you really want to be honest. If you want to expose some, I'm going to expose a few blind spots for you so that you can wake up and then make a really educated decision on which way you want to go. Because now after taking the red pill, you can't go back to sleep. You can't just keep sedating and numbing yourself and lying to yourself anymore and pretending and hoping that someone, someone out there is going to come and fix it. Someone he'll change. She'll change. I'll just say my prayers. I'm a Christian. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Baha'i. I'm good. God will save me. God, I'll leave it in God's hands. Okay. There's a very interesting uh, situation I would see with, with in, in my chiropractic practice. Super duper spiritually religious type of avatar who is just the salt of the earth, lovely. And they've just been groomed and conditioned to be slaves to very authoritarian system where it was maybe, you know, there was the Indian, the Persian, the Chinese, there was a patriarchal authoritarian system where even before you had language to speak, you were sent the message that you were not allowed to speak up, use your voice, ask for what you want, desire, have a desire. No, you know, it, to, to leaving the home. Oh my gosh, leaving the home. Oh my gosh, that's a deep no, right? And so one of the clients was experiencing, you know, wanting to leave and told her mother, and it's like, how dare you leave? After everything I've done for you, you're not gonna leave. And that's where the narcissist codependent virus, <laughs> because it spreads like a virus, I want you to conceptualize it like a virus that has been passing down like a pandemic for centuries. And here's how it works. Boom. The virus begins with a child trying to individuate and become their own self. But because of the codependency enmeshment 
of the parent because maybe there isn't a good connection between mom and dad. There wasn't there. So the child becomes parentified. No, you can't leave me. No, you're not going to individuate. I'm not going to allow you to grow and become your own sovereign self. You're mine. You're my property. You're my chattel. Or uh, raised where they can do no wrong. They get everything they want spoiled where they don't meet reality. They don't actually have an experience where they're bumping up with friction against reality, which is good. Frustration is good to be to to, if the best thing I can do for Dominic is to let him go and get into challenges in the outside world and not rescue him and protect him from that and go have him have conflict in the playground and have him be hurt and then come back and then be there for him to experience the friction of the real world, yet understand that he's safe with me to have all of his emotions and he will be met and, 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 um, uh, and, and understood and empathized with. And he has a safe and empathetic witness, an empathic witness. Trauma happens not from, you know, trauma isn't just uh, protecting them from trauma, isn't protecting them from pain. Trauma happens when there's a distress that isn't resolved, that there's a conflict that doesn't actually have a resolution. So it's good to be in conflict. It's good for my son to watch my wife and I have a conflict. But the key is to see the conflict resolved. How many of us got that? How many of us had uh, uh, like modeling where we got to see conflict between two adults, our parents, and then have the conflict resolved with completion with one another and then a conversation with the child, with us saying, hey, Nima, what was that like for you? What did you experience? No, man, to hell with that. Conflict happens. There isn't really a resolution. So if you didn't ever see conflict, you were protected from any conflict whatsoever, or you kept experiencing conflict with no resolution, those non-resolutions are what causes trauma. It's a distress without a resolution. It's a rupture without a repair. Unfortunately, my parents, unless you had unicorn parents, you didn't have parents that really taught you how to to have a rupture and how to have a repair. You know, it it takes, that's a skill. That's why I said this a couple of years ago before 2020 and at the, before New Year's of 2020, 2019, I said the two greatest skills that we can learn in 2020 is how to take a trigger, an emotional flashback and self-resource, turning it into self-love because we self-abandon the second we get triggered. We go back and we regress to that little child. And when we regress to that little child, it warps our view of reality. And so everyone becomes an enemy. Everyone becomes the parent, the bad parent. We can't see objectively. So because of that dysregulation, we can't see. So taking that trigger and turning it into deeper self-love and conflicts between one another and turning it into deeper, you know, deeper intimacy with the, not everybody, with the right people, you know, you don't have to go making amends with everybody, you know, just the people that are important, the people that are, are, are necessary for your growth and part of your vision and part of your circle, you're going to have conflict with them. And so there's times where you're going to want to cut off and there's a time to do that and a time to repair. It's for your mental well-being. You know, we don't learn these skills. And so I said that it was really important to learn those. Uh, and boy, fuck, was that ever an understatement? Here we are two years into the pandemic 
And uh, it's never been more important because the pandemic has brought the truth. It's like a shaker. It's like shaking all of the foundations of our society and all of the bullshit is falling apart. And the only things that are remaining after all this upheaval is the truth. The only, this is the, the benefit of a crisis is that it gives you the, the uh, luxury that you never really thought of before because you're too busy being avoiding your problems to, to shake away all the bullshit and say, who, who are you? What is it that you're about? Can you derive what, what's meaningful? You've been leading a meaningless existence. And if you don't have something meaningful to tether your, your nervous system to, then you're fucked. <laughs> and, and, and it's demonstrating people, our suicide rates are through the roof, mental health declining like crazy, relationships coming apart. It's, we're going through a mass psychosis. I'm really afraid for our species. And that's why I'm having this conversation because I've now decided at the, throughout this time, based on everything I've gone through, throughout the pandemic, I got married, I had a kid, uh, expanded, like moved my on my, my in-person live events, pivoted and completely have gone online for our online trainings and have massively expanded beyond sometimes like at the very edge of our capacity. And we're consistently having to grow through that. The amount of people DMing me with relationship challenges who are saying, I'm ready to do the work. It's starting to get overwhelming to the point where we have to really um, kind of become very boundaried with who we let in. Big confession time is the reason why I'm talking about this is not from the perspective of an academic expert, but more of a perspective of uh, uh, kind of like of a sufferer because I suffered from codependency in my relationships. When I took care of that, I was able to uh, have a healthy, secure relationship who we, when we get into conflict, we repair, we, we, we make breaking the cycle for raising Dominic to be in a household where he feels safe so that he can individuate, even though it's going to hurt. We were just on Diana and I were just talking about this. It's like, my God, can you, cause, cause we were listening to, to Coco Melon and that one of the songs, God, I can't believe I'm talking about Coco Melon. One of the songs is uh, the first day of school. And then I was just like, oh my God. And I was telling Diana, imagine Dominic's first day of school. And it's going to be traumatic. It's like, oh my God, it's like the end of his toddler years. And there's going to be a grief involved in that. Right. And, 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 Diana said, you know what he's probably going to do? He's just going to truck along. He's got not going to have any problems. He's like, woohoo, I'm excited. He's going to go. And then we're going to be sitting there crying because he's just so happily just leaving us. <laughs> and that'll be so depressing for us. And I thought, well, that'll be a good thing. That'll be a great sign. Because if we, if we raise him in such a way where he feels confident and safe and trusting in himself to leave, what that means is he knows that he has a secure foundation. There's a secure foundation. But if I hadn't done my own uh, healing work with my own younger selves, and I not just talk about healing work, <laughs> I see you, Evelyn, not just talk about it and do it for other people, but do it in, within myself within, and get the guidance to actually go in and heal with those younger parts of myself, then what'll happen is I'm going to 
try to unconsciously prevent Dominic from individuating because I need his, his presence for my own validation. And that's my own childhood wounding, my own codependent childhood wounding downloaded onto my son unconsciously. But how often do we see this? How many people do you know that do it, do it this way? It's really, this is, this is trauma to a child. And it's not, this is not about blaming parents. This is not about shaming parents. This is about having the courage to have a conversation and talk about things that most people don't want to face. <laughs> people don't want to face the truth. People will, will scapegoat and point fingers in family systems and say, that's the person out there. They're the ones who is responsible for all of our problems. And we scapegoat other people, anything to avoid looking at ourselves. And if you've ever had the experience of being scapegoated or being the black sheep, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're the one who's like, screw this. I don't want to deal with any of the bullshit. I want to have real family dynamic. I'm just tired of bullshit. And that's a good, that's, that's a little voice inside that's calling on you to break from the matrix and, and heal. This is your healing journey. This is your, um, journey back into authenticity, just finding your own voice where you were conditioned that having your voice, speaking your voice, sharing your voice, um, having a desire, um, going for what you wanted was uh, hindered, was dismissed, was your emotions were denied. Y that didn't happen. You should be grateful. You were parentified you were made responsible to be the surrogate mother or father to a parent with a mental illness, with addiction, with their own codependency stuff because of their interpersonal dynamics and their unresolved traumas. And here we are having this conversation, 2022, first few days of the year. And you get to look back and ask yourself, what do I want? Do I want to be a slave and not feel a relationship that's mutual? Do I want to keep running into these same patterns with these same types of guys, same types of gals, and keep blaming them and saying, oh, maybe one day this knight in shining armor is going to come and rescue me without really looking in the fucking mirror? Well, it appears that they say, the experts say, that you won't be able to heal from this, that you are too broken that, that the, the fractures from these childhood uh, wounds that have you show up because of authoritarian, either religious, super religious, pressure, you know, us versus them, good guys, bad guys, very black and white type of immature type of parenting uh, with parents who are narciss mo mo mostly narcissistic, codependent cycle within each other. And now here you are and you, you're, you're at the effect of it and it really sucks and none, none of this is your fault. But if, but, but now you have this moment at this moment, hopefully it's a wake up call. Uh, you can turn this off if you don't like being woken up or what I say triggers you too much. And what I'm telling a lot of people say, oh my God, I get, I'm getting the shakes listening to you. I know. Well, listen, if that, if your body is starting to become activated with what I'm saying, and you know that I'm not talking at you, uh, I'm not talking at you. Um, I'm talking into a camera right now. So <laughs> I'm talking into a microphone. Uh, it's just, I've, I've listened to so many stories and, and have been unpacking my own, trying to solve this, this big riddle that I've discovered it. 
And the first thing that I had to do was to make sure that I was coming from a place of authenticity, that I wasn't just sharing this with you um, and, and kind of like doing one thing, saying one thing and then doing another. That's a real big, important thing for me because when my last relationship broke down, I remember thinking to myself, fuck, I'm, I'm so incongruent. I have not been congruent with what I'm sharing. What I'm sharing publicly is different than what I'm living internally. And that the shame of that is so humiliating that I remember looking in the mirror with such disdain for myself. I hated myself for it. I thought, who would ever, you know, love me again? Uh, who would ever love this, the real this? Like, ugh, no wonder, because that's why I put up that false self, because there was no way that anyone was going to love that part of me. And so I, I did the most scariest thing that I, I was too afraid to do. You've been listening to the Trigger Proof podcast designed to teach you the most important skill necessary for a dramatically changing world, which is nervous system regulation. Becoming trigger-proof doesn't mean trigger-less. It means learning how to regulate ourselves to bring us back to center so that we can then be governed by our purpose rather than from our wounds. Anytime there's reactivity, there's a wound. And if you're curious and inspired to learn more, join us at Breathwork and Badassery or the overview experience and a combination of both actually helps you do the work. There's a difference between listening to a podcast and actually showing up live and doing the work with a badass community who's all about breaking cycles of intergenerational trauma. It didn't start with you, but it can end with you if you're willing to do the work. See you at the next perfect time. Which was to stop distracting myself with women, to stop working and distracting myself with this false character, Dr. Nima, that I put up to have people validate me. I was really good at helping other people with their problems. I, you know, whether it was a chiropractic adjustment, oh, doc, you got magic hands. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, please stop it. Stop it. Stop. I hate when you're validating me so much. Uh, that part. <laughs> and then I created a methodology which helps you get to the root of it. And so now I become super duper amazing, awesome at helping people heal. And a lot of it was just a false self. There is a, a, a there was a deep um, uh, kind of loving, generous, uh, part of me that wanted to do right by the world and do good for the world, but it was so shrouded and clouded by this deep insecure part that needed to prove my dad wrong. And so my, my, you know, I'm still the same person. It's just that my, my work and my drive is now fueled more, way more by love than by anger. And, and trying to prove, and you can feel that, right? And so um, I'm a work in progress, and I wanted to answer and solve the riddle. Can I go from this uh, codependent uh, cycle dynamic that I kept finding myself in? I was narcissistic in my personal relationships, but I was codependent at work. <laughs> so here's what, here's the first I want. And I had to bust some, some, some rules in order to really get this. Uh, and so I wanted to share the three blind spots for, for 
you know, breaking through this. And that's the first one is, is to, uh, the blind spot is that you're running a false dichotomy is you're thinking that you're the codependent. They're the narcissist. You're the good one. They're the bad one. You're blameless. They're evil. You're the angel. They're the monster. And, um, you know, morally superior, morally superior. I'm good. I'm innocent. And that's a false dichotomy. The blind spot is that in order to release that blind spot, you have to be able to own where you are the narcissist, where you are the codependent. The codependent becomes connected to the narcissist. How does it happen? If you're such an empath, if you're so empathic, <laughs> by the way, it's a self-proclaimed, uh, that's not a clinical entity. It's just kind of a morally grandiose title that people love to give themselves. It's all, a, it's all unresolved trauma. You know, everybody has empathy. Everybody, when they really do their work, can tune in to other people. Even narcissists have empathy. That's a big, that's a big um, misunderstanding. That's another blind spot. And part of the false dichotomy is that narcissists, that, well, I'm an empath. I can't be a narcissist. I'm an empath. Narcissists don't have empathy. I do. Uh-uh-uh. Narcissists are highly empathic how the fuck do you think that they're able to read you so goddamn well <laughs> because they are they have empathy they have what's called cold empathy which is they can see what you're feeling and where your vulnerabilities are even but they but because of their dissociation because of their kind of it's kind of like a dissociative disorder from their trauma that's where it happens they can't feel it right but they know and so the false dichotomy is that um, codependency is always manipulative. It is the abandonment of self for some sort of external validation. You think that it's, oh, I'm a pleaser. I'm doing it for you. I'm so morally superior. Nah. Get off of that. Wake up from the blind spot. Wake up. You are just as narcissistic in your own way. And you're just as codependent. See, the codependent is a closet covert narcissist. You know, if you don't believe, like how many times have we seen this woman who's totally, totally pining and obsessed with this narcissist, right? And she's totally codependent on the narcissist. Whereas com co constantly attention is on that, depression is about that, completely entangled and hyper vigilantly focused on the narcissist and then the children completely feel a lack of connection to the mother so to the children the mother is a narcissistic mother but the the mother is codependent on the on the narcissist the man let's say i'm just using an example and when you look at the man who's the narcissist he's codependent on the attention of the woman and codependent on outside on the social on the on the uh the public eye in fact many covert narcissists are pillars of the community ah i was a pillar of the community covertly narcissist the pillar of the how could my daddy's he's actually the pillar of the community yes Yes, this is one of the profiles. This is the covertness of it. That's why they call it covert, because it's confusing. Because they're codependent. The, 
The, the narcissist is a covert codependent. The codependent is a covert narcissist. Let's stop labeling people with these false dichotomies. That's the first blind spot you need to override if you're willing to, 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 to um, heal from this thing. You know, you, you, you can't heal from it if you're seeing yourself as a blameless victim. And, and here's the problem. We are now in a toxic victimhood culture. We have now, uh, you know, with the Me Too movement, which is great. It's about exposing people from their shame. The concept of Me Too is like, okay, you know, I don't need to hold on to this story in shame and share it in a vulnerable way. But what's happened now is we've now glorified victimhood. And it's now raised a new culture of narc abuse survivor forums and coaches who are basically closet narcissists. They're covert narcissists splitting this, I'm an empath, I'm an angel, they're bad, they, they, they. They can't own what they project. They haven't really done their inner work. When you've done your inner healing work, you've integrated your shadows. You're like, oh yeah, I'm the narcissist. Oh yeah, I'm the abuser there. Oh yeah, I'm totally the victim there. Oh, I was the rescuer there. When you've done your inner healing work, you can tell somebody has because when they're speaking about it, they're not casting shame like a hot potato. When they're shaming, shame, you can feel it. Sit and just feel the tone of the post of the person who's posting. You're an empath. You're wise. Feel it. Are they coming from a place of love? Are they coming from a deep place of concern? Are they coming from authenticity? Are they willing to own they're part of the dance. Are they still living under the illusion that they're just this blameless, completely angelic person who's a pillar of the community, just like all their closet narcissists? Huh? Beware, beware. This has now become, people are profiting off of victimhood. Just telling you, and, and here's the other way that you really want to be careful when you're to, to, to take care of yourself is... If you're going to therapists and counselors for two years and still stuck on the same narrative and you haven't been working and learning skills to shift that narrative outside of your victim story, then you're not the one being helped by that interaction. See, there's a drama triangle, the conflict, the Karpman's triangle. Look it up. We go in depth in our trainings with it. Look it up. Karpman's drama triangle. You got to be able to see how you are the, the villain, the, 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 um, the villain, the hero, and the victim. There's always a villain, Victor. Hi, hi, hi. There's always a villain, uh, uh, uh a victim and a hero. And the way that you heal is to really take a painful look. And when you do, it hurts. When you do, there's a great deal of shame. When you do, it's fucking mortifying. But that's part of healing. It's a purification process. What's stopping you from healing is your inability to deal with your toxic shame. That's why Narcissists are the way they are because they have dissociated from shame. The more that you run away from your toxic shame, the more you run away from your guilt, the more you are at the effect of that intergenerational trauma. 
That's the weapon of intergenerational trauma. I asked one of my clients today, I was like, what was the moment, I asked her, what was the moment where you decided, where you decided that your dreams and your vision was unacceptable to your narcissistic father and codependent mother? Narcissistic father, which was no, you have, as soon as she was a teenager and she said, I wanna go so-and-so, she's like, the father was like, you have family obligations. And the mother who was codependent was like, no, how dare you leave me? You have family obligations. And then he's super duper wealthy dad, authoritarian, narcissistic father. What does he say? He goes, if you so-and-so, I'm gonna write you out of the will. And he uses the will as a way to manipulate and control his kids. Well, God damn it. That is a fucking breeding ground for codependency. No wonder she didn't feel, even though she's talented, beautiful, strong, capable, get shit done type of woman, what does she do? She settles to work in daddy's company as an employee rather than, you know, uh, working, you know, rather than connecting to her own worth. And as she's breaking free from that, she's like, oh my God, I, I want to help people heal from grief because she lost her mother two years ago. Guess why? Her mother would rather die than to actually leave the confines of that family system. The codependency, this is true, like this is fact, like you look and see anyone with a chronic illness, anyone comes to me with chronic illness who has quote unquote tried everything, I'm like, yeah, have you looked at your family system? Chronic pain, chronic illness, oh really, oh okay, you've tried everything, huh? Naturopathic, chiropractic, yeah, I've seen it, yeah. You're exactly why I left chiropractic, why? Well, have you looked at your family system and seen uh, the, the, the authoritarian parent, the dutiful daughter who had to, uh, daughter or son who had to abandon his needs because of family obligation from dad and then like guilt trip? How could you leave me? You're my, you're my surrogate mother. You should play that role. And no wonder she marries, stays home, marries this dude who's exactly like her dad and now... 10 years into it is like, I don't know who the fuck I am anymore. I've lost my shine. I've lost who I am. Like, and here's the other kicker, digestive issues, chronic anxiety. <laughs> and the thing is you can go to a doctor and have a fucking different pill for each of those things and not look. And this has been driving me insane until, you know, Clubhouse and Facebook Live comes on and I get to express like what you're experiencing right now is very therapeutic for me because I've been putting it together. I've been trying to talk to people. They're like, oh, just, you know, I'm like your neck issue. There's, it's deeper. Oh, no, 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 no. Can you just deal with my neck? I don't want it to go deeper. Just quit trying to get into my head, doc. This one woman, she came in after a divorce, her neck with severe neck pain. After her second session, I'm like, how are you doing? She goes, it's not any better. After her third session, I tell her, I said, all right, straight up here. How is it? She goes, I don't feel any better. I'm like, okay. I'm just reading and picking up from you that there's some deeper issues that are going on. What's happening in your life? Well, I'm going through a separation. Well, I think there's something going on here that is contributing to your problem if you really want to get into it. Guess what? I never saw her again. Eight years later, fast forward eight years, I'm doing a talk at the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation for a group of entrepreneurs. And this one dude, uh, Connor is his name. He's a young entrepreneur. Uh, he hosts, he was the host of this and he has been following me for a while. He's the host of this event. He has me coming up and speaking about entrepreneurial anxiety and all of that stuff. 
and his stepmother was in the audience and it was her. It was Kyla. She walks up to me and she comes up to me after my talk and she goes, do you remember me? I go, no. What is it? She goes, I was a patient of yours. And I was like, immediately my mind went to, okay, great. Um, was it, she goes, I only came and saw you three times and I didn't get any better. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. She goes, and I, now I see why I get it now I'm ready. And so I left chiropractic because I was tired of just dealing with the surface bullshit. And it's not bullshit. I mean, I send all of my clients, I'm like, make sure you're going to wherever you are in the world, make sure you're getting your nervous system checked and adjusted. You know, that's really important part of nervous system regulation. There are some patterns there. You got to, you know, it's only going to help you, but let's do the inner work. And by the inner work, I'm not talking about just venting your story. I'm talking about going in and healing those attachment wounds. And so when we did, we had to help her see that she was living a false dichotomy, that it's narcissism versus codependency, good versus evil, (laughs) sorry, evil versus good, blameful, blameless. It's not black and white. Stop making it a false dichotomy. False dichotomies are the first line of defense is a narcissistic defense strategy is an us versus them type of scenario. So, you know, you really have to try to get that codependency is just as manipulative as the narcissist. And the narcissist is a closet codependent. This is no different. I want you to see that it's the same thing. It's the same wound actually. It's the same wound, but it's, it's either internalized or externalized. What do I mean by that? Well, it, what happens is, like I just said, is when, you know, I just shared when you're expected to perform, a child is expected to perform, you know, serve, be a slave or realize the parents' dreams and fantasies in exchange for affection. You know, it's conditional transactional love and attention from usually a narcissistic parent. And the child is in pain from this. And we react with rage to this unjust treatment, but we really can't do anything about it because our survival is dependent on our parents. So obviously we can't punish the parent for this unfair behavior. So it goes one of two ways. Number one is we externalize the anger. We act out with passive aggressive rage Um, this is, you know, towards intimate partners who stand in for the bad parent. This is, you know, what the narcissist will usually do, or we'll internalize that anger and become kind of like masochistic and beat ourselves up. We abandon ourselves. We think of ourselves as the bad object. And then that will lead to depressive illnesses, chronic fatigue, and that's the codependent. So it's a, it, you're an avatar. <laughs> what you're experiencing is not, is not um, abnormal. It's actually exactly designed the way it should happen given these unresolved traumas. You know, when the parent is completely emotionally dead to you, the child adapts and turns love either towards himself as the narcissist or externally as the codependent. You see how it works? If you can go back upstream, you realize that you are no different from this monster that you've been dichotomizing as your villain. And if you really want to heal, 
I'm not saying, I'm, this isn't victim blaming, by the way. Everybody, oh God, DMs, you're victim blaming. Oh, you're such a victim blame. How could you blame survivors? Oh God, really? Are you not getting what I'm saying? Like, stop, stop with this. This is not blaming anybody. Because when you really step back 30,000 feet, you see that there's no one to blame. This isn't a justification for abusive behavior at all. But I understand why I became abusive now. I don't, I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it should have happened. But when I watch documentaries like uh, R. Kelly's story, and I see the monster that he became, when you look back in the history, you're like, oh shit, that makes sense. He was sexually abused at the age of 12, consistently. He, the, it's trauma. It's unresolved trauma. Does it justify bad? No. Does it, I'm not justifying bad behavior. I just, I'm saying I understand it. I am, I understand where I had to understand why my ex is exhibiting psychopathic behavior. I had to look and see and understand rather than be at the victim, be a victim towards it. I could have easily over the last few years been a victim to psychopathic, entitled, exploitative uh, behavior. It's happening, right? And I'm, I'm at the effect of it. And I was a victim. Believe me, I had that false dichotomy. I'm blameless. And so I had to really look and unpack and go, oh shit. I'm both the victim and the abuser. I'm the narcissist and the codependent. There's a false dichotomy that I've been running. And that's the current narrative of the world. This is a cultural war. If you notice, that's how our society is. That's what what um, politics is. That's what Facebook is becoming. That's what this world is becoming, is othering people. If I can divide and I can, you know, justify a war, you know, rather than really seeing commonality, you know, this is really a love wins conversation, even though many people think that I'm blaming victims. It's, no, no. I'm here, all I give a shit about is to make sure that your children aren't at the effect of it because my son has got to mix with your children and I'm not really keen on the status of the species right now and I'm not saying it from a morally superior uh, standpoint, I'm saying it from, with empathy. Like we are all at the effect and this pandemic has fucked us. It was already where, it, where it's been, it's just worse now. It's never been more important to be in this conversation and really be dedicated to actually taking action rather than, oh, someday down the road. Oh, I hope to in the new year. Yeah, see, what you got to get in this story of codependency is that you, um, you are really good at justifying self-abandonment. Please write that down. I want you to write that down. If you want to heal, I want you to write this down in big block letters. I am really, really good at justifying self-abandonment because it's been coded in me long before I was even had, I even had language. Parent duty, family obligation, family obligation. It's for the family. You do it for the family. Shame, toxic shame for not being part, not belonging. <gasps> terrifying for my little body to not belong. Okay, okay, I'll do whatever. You've gotten really good at justifying self-abandonment. So the, the moment that you decide to step outside, it's like if you've ever watched the movie Shawshank Redemption, there was a guy, Brooks. I don't know if you remember. I remember that scene where he described it. Brooks was like a little kid when he entered um, jail. 
And then he was like in his 70s or 80s, and then he was finally free. But he developed a life in jail. It's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome. You become... You become, you become friends with, um, you become friends with the warden, Stockholm syndrome, the, the guard, the, the, the guards, the, the, the people imprisoning you, you start to develop like, you know, it's like what happens when with kidnappers after 20, you know, after a year of being with the kidnapper month, the, 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 the person being kidnapped doesn't want to fucking leave. They've developed a, a bond. <laughs> That's what you're up against. It's scary as fuck. That's why they tell you. That's why the experts say, no, you won't be able to do it. It's just, it's just a, an identity that you've taken on. So to heal it, it's going to be impossible, they say. Yes, assuming you keep that old identity. In or, what they don't know, can't really measure or study that. It's tough to do a randomized control trial on identity. You must adopt a new identity. You must adopt the identity of a cycle breaker. It's, that's it. That's the only way that I was able to heal and actually have a relationship with my parents because I want them part of Dominic's life, not just for Dominic's sake, but also for their sake. You know, they did sacrifice a lot. Uh, I do feel an obligation to the family system, but this time it's not through self-abandonment. It's by choice. It's by a powerful choosing to be a cycle breaker. That is the distinction between doing it out of family duty and doing it because I powerfully choose because I am the one in my bloodline. Talk about grandiose narcissist. I'm the one in my bloodline that I take on the work of becoming the one in my bloodline to completely break that cycle through love. Love is the only way, and it's the one thing we resist the most, unfortunately. Why? Because we don't trust love. We've been conditioned to not be trusting of love since we were children. There it is again. We must go back and connect to that. And the second blind spot is that people constantly we try to separate codependency from trauma that's a blind spot you can't i've been pointing this out this whole conversation pointing you to the fact that this is 100 percent due to trauma small t trauma that hasn't been fully acknowledged in the medical literature we talk about adverse childhood events if you do the ACE study, look that up, the Adverse Childhood Events. It's a questionnaire of 10 questions. I'm creating a survey, by the way, before we work with anyone now. We're going to get them to fill out the ACE study so that we know where you score on adverse childhood events because it's not a one-size-fits-all. If you score six or above on that score, you have high incidence of very high levels of at childhood adversity. Guess what happens? Your child, your your chances of having uh, chronic illness goes through the roof. So it's your health at stake, your relationships are at stake, and it all has to do with these unresolved traumas. So if you have a six or above, we know that it's not going to be like an overnight quick fix. This is going to be a process. So how much does it cost? How long is it going to take? What a, it's, it's like, well, shit, let's just see what we're dealing with and what would be the best option for you because what is the outcome that you want to have? It all depends on what is it that you want to actually, what do you want to create for yourself? You know, this isn't just like, you know, let's go to the therapist once a week 
pay 150 bucks an hour and then vent and then have someone say, yeah, it's all because of your childhood with no skills, no tools, no, all right, what do I do about it? Uh, Kept me out of my victim stance. I want to rise above that. It's been two years. It's been two years. I've been telling the same story. I'm ready to be done with this story. I'm ready to, to overcome. You know, this is trauma. Trauma that has us dissociate from ourselves and cause us to adopt a neurotic drive, codependency, that's what it is. It's a neurotic drive, which means you don't have any choice. You don't have any freedom. You can't read it away on a book. You can't listen to a podcast and expect that that's going to do it. You can't just watch a YouTube video or a Facebook Live and go, oh, thanks, I've been following your videos. It's really been helping me. Yeah, I'm glad because it's been bringing up awareness. But if you don't have a guide, it doesn't have to be me, somebody that can, in a community container where you can actually feel all of those feelings, learn how to take those emotional flashbacks and triggers and practice the neural art. It's an art form. It's a, it's a skill. It's Brazilian jiu-jitsu of, of not being at the effect of those emotional flashbacks. Now you're healing the trauma. If you don't, if you can deal with these emotional flashbacks and these triggers, if you're able to regulate your triggers, you have the capacity to break the cycle. If you don't regulate the triggers, you are run by those emotional flashbacks and your creative cognitive centers are offline. Your brain's not going to work. You will regress back and you will become eight years old. And you will attract people in your life that are at that level. But once you learn how to heal those childhood attachment wounds and learn how to make it a practice and become trigger proof, which is a practice, resolve those flashbacks and learn about the literacy of your emotions, like understanding, like what emotion, what feelings are these dissociate, dissociative disorders you've been having because you've been cutting out of your body and avoiding all these feelings. Yeah. Yeah because it wasn't safe to be in your body and you didn't have a parent that could guide you back in and allow you to have your emotions. They've been gaslighting your emotions, dismissing them, denying them. Well, guess what? That's trauma. These are small T traumas. If we don't address that, then no, you can read 10 books on codependency, codependency no more. There'll be great information, but that's not transformation. Transformation happens in the body, which is my third point where I'm gonna share. But it's the neurotic drive to avoid guilt. Guilt is intolerable to you. Because you can't, like this woman I was talking to, I was like, are you ready? You're ready to do it. And she's like, I'm ready. And then all of a sudden, I said, what is it that you want? And it took her 30 minutes to admit that she was ready to leave her horribly abuse, emotionally abusive, childlike husband who isn't helping whatsoever, isn't safe with the kids. She, it took her like freaking 30 minutes to admit. And, and when she said it, she was shaking. I was like, can you see how you're not even giving yourself permission to have a life and a relationship that feels nourishing? Even though she's an ER nurse, even though she's got so much financial empowerment of her own spiritual empowerment, she's been doing the work to get to the place where she's ready. And, and, and I was like, I looked at her and it's like, she, it's not, it's like she wasn't even admitting it to herself. I'm like, you've been planning this for a while, haven't you? She's like, like shaking while she's like, yes, I have. It's like, 
What I saw there was a beautiful soul with an intolerance to feeling guilt. Her nervous system did not have the capacity because of the emotional illiteracy because she was a parentified child. Same story. If this is resonating with you, just know you're an avatar, just like I was. My avatar and your avatar, quite frankly, might have been a perfect match for one another. That's why 95% of my clients say, you're exactly like my ex. You're exactly like my husband. <laughs> Fuck, if I had a dollar for every time I heard, what's really triggering me the most about you, Nima, is that you're exactly like my ex. I'm like, Fuck, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I see you. I see how difficult it is for you to be with somebody who, who overtakes you, who, who, whose narrative engulfs you and you merge with them because you need to feel safe and you don't know what your own fucking story is. But it takes you trusting somebody to be able to guide you back to your own story. What's gonna be another obstacle because of your trauma, you've, you're so used to losing yourself. You're gonna, you're gonna want to, I had one woman is like, I really wanna work with you, but I know my pattern is I'm gonna kind of put you up on a pedestal as well. And I don't want that to happen. I'm like, I know that's part of the codependency. I make sure of that by not uh, like, if I'm not doing my own inner work, then I'm going to be rescuing you. My job, our job as guides for this is to continuously do our own work because you're going to bring up our triggers as well. So if I don't become what I'm teaching you and be congruent with what I'm teaching you, when you trigger me as a client, which my clients do, I then put up my ego defenses and then I start treating you like the narcissistic parent that you're trying to break free from. But my job is to take ownership and to have embodied introspection with whatever you bring up in me. Even if you're saying, fuck you, which I get a lot too. I get that a lot too. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of, there's a part of me that actually likes it. Um, <laughs> and then, and then I just, uh, and then I can just sit there and, and, and hold space and say, hey, I understand you, but I'm holding you accountable to the new identity, not the old one. I know I'm bringing up your dad's stuff. I know I'm bringing up your ex stuff. Okay, this is a container. Like to heal codependency, you must actually provoke the very things that have keeping you stuck so that you can then transcend it. It's like, it's kind of like saying, I want to, I want to heal from my fear of elevators, but I don't want to go into an elevator anymore. Don't make me go into an elevator. Fuck that shit. I'm taking you into an elevator. That's how it works. <laughs> I'm not going to rush you in or push you in, but that will be part of the journey because that's your hero's journey. Courage, courage isn't done in the absence of fear. Courage is done when you walk with your fear. And, um, the, 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 the trauma, the unresolved trauma that's stuck in your body is not going to allow you to have tolerance for it. But your work is to expand your capacity, vulnerability, courage, authenticity. That can't happen from reading in a book, reading it in a book. That's, that's the result to heal from trauma. We, we need those things and we need each other, which is part of my third point. The third blind spot is we think that we, that keeps us stuck in codependency is thinking that we can actually heal it just by talking about it. Oh, let me work on myself. Oh, I need to work on that on myself. And I'm like, what does that mean? How do you work on courage, vulnerability, authenticity, 
um, and, and, and expressing and, and facing your shame in isolation. You can't, you can't do it alone. You can't do it isolating yourself, huddled in a corner, watching YouTube videos. It just doesn't, it's just nobody. I mean, you get insights. I've had major insights, but the real work happens when you have embodied intentional introspection. In other words, going into the places where you've been avoiding and being guided into releasing those emotions and moving to the other side, finding the other side, owning whatever you're projecting in the other person, owning it, taking ownership for it, saying, oh my gosh, that person's so selfish, shit, where do I do the same thing? And being able to own so that love wins. Love wins. Love breaks the cycle. Love of yourself, love of the person who awoke you, love of the parents that, um, you know, put you in that situation. But first, to feel, to feel all of it, to give yourself space and permission to really feel your anger, feel your hurt, feel your shame, all of the stuff you've been dissociating from. To be able to do that in a safe container with a group of other cycle breakers in a higher level conversation, that's the key. That's the critical component. That's what's important. So my son is just screaming at the top of his lungs right now. He's discovered his voice. And so that's, that's, I don't know if you can hear it, but it's pretty interesting. So this is an opportunity for anybody who has been listening, paying attention. Um, and I do see a lot of peeps here who come a lot to my clubhouse and they come up on stage and they share. And, you know, usually I'm doing this with Russ, so I got to kind of be polite. He's kind of my alter ego that keeps me in check and my shadows from taking over. But right now I just feel really honored that you guys keep showing up. Um, that you keep sharing, uh, and, uh, and, and, and I'm going to challenge you. The invitation is for you to stop talking and to start actually doing the work. There's a huge distinction between being here and actually showing up and doing the work. And so the invitation is for you to really step in and lean in. Um, yeah, I have an opportunity. Anybody who would like to um, ask a question, this is a good time while you're, um, while you're having the courage to ask a question. I have time for one person. I can maybe do some laser coaching on uh, a lot of DMS that I got was, okay, so I want to know how do I know if I'm ready? How do I, if, if I know that this is it, I realized over the last year, I, I looked back and I saw there were a lot of people who, um, thought that they were ready to heal and break the cycle and to start to create space for really secure relationships to show up and to feel safe in their anxiety and panic stuff. And, you know, so many people have said and DM'd and then I'm looking at, at, at the list of all of them and then the very few who actually went to the other side and were able to leave abusive relationships or narcissistic relationships where they were being exploited. Finally, they were able to step up and, and, and claim something greater for themselves and then had their partners step up for them too. So it wasn't just breakup. They stepped up and two things happened. Their partner either stepped up with them or, you know, they, they had the courage to, to love themselves enough to, 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 to claim more for themselves. So I had to look and see what were the traits of those people who got the results. And so as I do my heal, trauma healing work and heal from my codependency with rescuing people, because that was me as a rescuer, 
I just wanted, I would get on calls. Can we chat? I would get on calls. People would emotionally dump and they go, oh, thanks. I feel so much better. And they would never actually do anything. And here they were six months later down the road, same thing. And so the cool part about Clubhouse is people still do that. They get up on stage and they, they, they share and it, you know, they, they get, they get a little bit of a dopamine hit having their story heard and maybe getting some coaching, but they don't really, most of them don't really take action after that. And so I looked and saw who got the results. Who was it? There's a certain traits of people because they tell you the experts say it's not healable and current psychotherapy models, of course, not psych psychiatry, definitely not. Uh, counseling, it doesn't work. And it's because they don't have these specific traits. Here's, here's the ones I wrote them all out. Number one, you must be committed to the process. It's like healing any addiction. It's like being a alcoholic. It's like, oh, I'm done. I'm no longer an alcoholic. Well, you will always have this crutch. It will always be a part of you. And it's wiser and more humble for you to say, today is day one. You know, they say one day at a time. So it's a process. And even though that I'm in a relationship now that I deem secure, it's not a finish line. There's no fantasy happily ever after. It's still in process. Two weeks ago, my wife and I were getting into some deep conflict that had me go introspective and see where the, the roots of it were and come back and have conversations. And it really led to a kind of domino effect of massive shifting in my whole family system. And then I shared it with my tribe and my community and wow, they are shifting too. So don't underestimate the power of your own introspective work. There are people out there that really will benefit from a more uh, actualized and integrated version of you, especially your children. It's, 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 it's the greatest gift that you can give a child is a self-loving parent who's committed to the process. Like my relationships are a practice. They are a process. There is no finish line tomorrow. If I, you know, think that I, you know, my shit doesn't stink anymore and, uh, butter doesn't melt, you know, you know, like it, it, it's, I'm a living in a delusion and my ego's in the way and it's really wise for me to be committed to the process. Number one, those are the people that get the results. They see that it's a process and it's lifelong. So they're committed to that. Number two, you're coachable. Coachable is difficult, especially if uh, you're, you have a kind of covert narcissistic traits. Um, Taking feedback is very, very challenging to your ego. The, the one that, you know, is trying to project perfection because you were felt criticized and not worthy and not lovable if you were wrong. So you put up this false self that can't handle any type of feedback and become overly reactive to the point where the coaching relationship can't work. It's, it's cool for us to have conflict, but if it's persistent, like literally everything I say, it gets thrown back, then, then, then the coachability is not there, then we're not the right fit. So you got to be coachable. Um, there's two people that I can recall in the last two years where we dropped the ball and we just let them in. We didn't have these boundaries up as I do my trauma healing work and heal my codependency with my work. I become more able to say no to people and yes to the right people. And that's what I want for you. You'll be able to do that too. I want that for you to be able to say, Hey, this is a bubble of who gets let into my life. It's like kind of like a velvet rope. And I don't just let anybody and not everyone is permeable. It's not permeable to ev just anyone. I'm going to be a little bit more choosy. Why? Well, because 
if somebody's not going to be respectful of the container and being able to see me as well and just and tries to parentify me and you're not my parent, you're not somebody within my family dynamic, I don't need to let you into my universe. So you got to be coachable. The next one is a, a very difficult one. This is a highly triggering one to a lot of people, but it's the truth. You have to be financially responsible and excited to invest in yourself. Why do I say that? It's not because I'm just trying to milk you out of your money and, and, and completely be a thief and, and, and uh, money hungry bastard. That's not, that's not, well, okay, sure. Uh, full transparency. I don't do what I do because I want to not experience abundance, but I'm very clear on what I want to give in return. I want your freedom. Your, I don't want to just take you in. That's why we would just take anyone in who is willing to pay and not have these boundaries. But when you're, but when you're financially responsible and excited to invest in yourself, what you're saying is that you have some resources. You have some family. You have some friends. You have some savings. You have an education. If you don't have those things and you have been at the effect or you've been... Um, having somebody else take care of you, your chances of healing from, from codependency go way down because it requires empowerment. If you have unconsciously found yourself in a situation where you are financially disempowered and you need somebody else to pull you out, that goes kind of contrary to uh, becoming an empowered, self-actualized individual. So for those people, what I say is save up, save up, get a job, you, you know, your number one priority is to find your own resources. I've been very honest with people. I'm like, you're not ready for this. I just, I just talked to a woman today who was so ready, but she's ready to leave. And then she's now got a three month gig and she's really like inspired to do this. And I said, do it in three months right now. You're not ready. Focus on getting kind of like your survival needs met. <laughs> if you, if you're in a place where you, you can't, eat because of this person well you know this pro of course you need this more than more than anyone ironically but you have to actually take care of your survival needs first this level of work is for those of you who are beyond survival just surviving like hand to like just barely surviving get some support first and resources get a group of friends start to connect with people your family i don't know you have sisters brothers cousins start to humans resource don't use them to dump but just co-connect and co-regulate with them and gather a life of empowerment outside of this one tyrant <laughs> you know unconscious not your fault that you found yourself here but it's all unconscious you were groomed into this you know people in our community were had arranged marriages you know it was just arranged okay you were just groomed into it to being a slave and it's sad but find the resources, become resourceful. If you can get resourceful, you don't have to be rich, but resourceful is how you heal from codependency because it's about self-empowerment. So the third one, fourth one is you have to be upfront and honest. It's fucking sad to me how many people lie on their applications. It's so sad. And it's like, I want to heal from all this. I want to heal from a life of incongruency and inauthenticity, but I'm going to fucking lie on the application form. Soon as we see and catch a whiff of that, we're like, eh, you're not ready. And that's when I want you to do that, by the way. 
you're wanting to break free from codependent narcissistic relationships, start telling the fucking truth right from the get-go with people. This is what I want. This is what I expect. This is what I would love. This is what I'm willing to give. This is what I'm willing to receive. And back and forth, start being authentic. So when people start the engagement with me, with us and my team, not being upfront and honest, we we can fucking feel it in our nervous systems. And we're like, no, thank you. Please go somewhere else. Uh, number four, number five, takes ownership, not blame. This doesn't mean you need to take blame because it's not your fault. This is, you have to be willing to let go of blame, but taking ownership. Most of the people jump on, you know, clubhouse and they just talk about the other person and they're all this way. And I keep dating the same type of person and they're all this, they're all this. And inside I'm listening and I'm like, I hope this person's willing to take ownership. Otherwise they will keep repeating this pattern for the rest of their lives. Not wanting to fucking look at themselves. Not that it's your fault, but you are half of the dance. You have your side of the street to clean up. Oddly enough, when you take the time to clean up your side of the street, you're like, Oh shit, I don't want those types of people anymore. I'm not even attracted to them anymore. The next one is you got to be acknowledging where your weaknesses are with humility and open to strategic feedback. Kind of like what I said about being coachable. Coachable is when I say, all right, you got to, you know, when I tell Jen what she just realized about her side of the responsibility in the relationship and she was so embarrassed and ashamed and I said, do a video in the group and share that. On the next group call, I want you to share that. She goes, no. And I'm like, this is part of your healing is mortifying yourself. If you don't mortify yourself, you're living with toxic shame. This turns into healthy shame. You must transform toxic shame to healthy shame. And the only way we do that is by acknowledging our weaknesses with humility. Imagine how great that would be if my dad was, was willing to acknowledge his weaknesses with humility. How, how different would your life be if your parents had the, had the courage to do that? Well, guess what? There's a reason why they didn't because it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> so why don't you break the cycle? It's why not you? I don't want to be. Why, why does it have to be me? Why can it be them? Okay, sure. You want to be at cause of your life. You want to be internal locus of control, as they say in psychology, or externally locus of control. You basically are handing your power elsewhere. This is called empowerment. The, the way you heal codependency is empowerment. That means being supported in it and also being challenged. So you can't have just somebody going, yay, oh, everything, you're blameless, you're innocent, which is a counselor who has their own codependency issues going on. They don't really want to empower you. A true, a true uh, you know, parent will be able to support and challenge is for me to say, hey, Dominic, I'm, I'm there for you and I'm going to kick you in the butt too, giving you a balance of both so that you're prepared for the world. You know, I, you know, I do as much challenge as possible and then repair, you know, like, like we have play fights, we have whippings, I throw him around. He's like, ah, you know, sometimes he will bite or something and then I'll say no. And then he'll start crying because of the shame. And then I, I, I set a boundary. He doesn't like it. Children don't like it when we set boundaries in case you codependents haven't, you know, that you start doing the work and then you start demanding stuff. And now your narcissistic partner's like, oh, wait, wait, I don't like this. I need you to be my mother. You're not supposed to say no. I feel rejected. That's hard. You're going to have to confront that. That's, what's, that's part of the process. 
And then you're going to be like, okay, I'm so sorry. I'll self-abandon again. I'll do whatever you say. I'll abandon my own needs again because it's too uncomfortable to deal with this. This is what we're up against. And so, you know, just be willing to acknowledge, willing to acknowledge. That's painful. The, the pain and the shame that, that, that is used as a weapon to promote intergenerational trauma and keep you as a slave is what you must valiantly move towards like a firefighter going into a burning building. That's how you must take it on. And I, I admit not everyone's willing to. Some of us are so riddled with toxic shame, we are ready, we are just willing to hide. Those are the ones who say, uh, Dr. Nima, I don't do group things. Can we do one-on-one, please? I just don't do well in groups. Yeah, you know why? Because of the toxic shame that you're supposed to heal and you can't do it alone. You must expose it. I'd rather not do that. Can't we just do it in secret where I can keep my shame? (sighs) You got to be willing to acknowledge your weaknesses with humility and be open to strategic feedback and be communicative and willing to get uncomfortable and face your fears. Because I'm working with one, one, one gal uh, with deep codependency, and so she cut off and dissociates, and so I can feel her dissociation. So I'll text her. I'm like, yo, Leslie, are you here? Earth to, Earth to Leslie. And that's when she would be usually in the sphere of her um, codependent, codependent relationship with the other narcissistic guy. And she's in his sphere and gets entrained and completely becomes brainwashed. And I literally feel that she's gone. And I'm like, where were you? She goes, damn it, I did it again. All right. Well, over the last six months, we've been working together. She has now successfully done what was impossible to her for fucking six years. She's gone no contact. That's a big deal. She's had to do so much breath work and healing from those dissociative childhood dissociative patterns. She saw it as all a replay of her childhood wounding and she's healing the trauma and she would dissociate and then I would be like, hey, communicate. And then then I've she's been training herself to reach out even when she's in a dissociation within a freeze response where, she, where you just want to isolate. The last thing you want to do is reach out to someone. She's now saying, hey, I'm, I'm feeling dissociative. I'm reaching out. I'm asking for help. I'm like, great, you're doing it. Then I can connect with her. Then I can give her a a specific assignment to do, to embody and to get back into her body, to work out certain things. I can coach her back into herself. But now she's able to go, oh, I'm dissociating. See, most codependents are chronic fawners, freeze and fawn, which means dissociate, separate from self, which is a trauma response. It's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. So what do you do about that? Well, you can't do it alone. You got to co-regulate. You got to have somebody walking with you. You got to have somebody going, hey, here's a reflection. You're dissociating. Fuck, I didn't even realize I did that. This is hard work, but the rewards are huge. She's got a relationship with her son. She feels freedom. Her friends are like, something's different about you. She's like, oh my God, I felt joy again. I feel joy again because she's so dissociated from her pain the grief from her last relationship that she hadn't fully grieved because she put a lid on it, she actually feels joy because we guided her into feeling her anger and grief. It's really powerful. And there's very little talking. It's just feeling. It's really neat when you do the real deep inner work. 
So you got to be willing to get uncomfortable and face your fears. Next one, you got to be willing to show up. And when you're unable to, to let your coaches and, and your community know it's about building a secure relationship. What do you do? How do I heal from codependency? You learn how to, what a secure relationship feels like by building one with me by being able to speak your truth to me, by being able to hear uncomfortable feedback from me and your coaches. If you can hear it from me and still feel loved, you're like, oh shit, I can create safe relationships. In other words, the reason why we're stuck in codependency is because we haven't had secure relationships modeled to us. The only way that we can heal is by being in a container immersed in allowing our triggers to be provoked and then returning back to what a secure relationship feels like. It's just, it's the, the book can't give it to us. It's a three-dimensional virtual experience of a secure relationship with mutuality that's based on authenticity. That someone like myself can tell you the truth. I can tell you how I'm feeling about you, you know, with kindness with kindness, of course, and listen to you saying, Dr. Nima, you triggered me, which I get maybe two or three times a week in my DMs. I'll get, oh, on the call, you didn't hear me, and I'll bring up their wounds, and here we are. We're in the soup together, and we're learning as a community how to have what we never had as children. And so we can go out in the world and recreate that with our families, with our businesses, with our workplaces. There's a ripple effect, right? And, and that's the other part is you must also be engaged, even when it's not comfortable to do so. To show up, to share, your, your biggest obstacle will be your shame, but that's, it's a practice. Shows up on the calls present, on time, and with cameras turned on, willing to be seen, and hungry to learn more and make a difference and break the cycles for family and children and past generations and future generations. In other words, you're not going to break free from codependency if it's just about you. It's got, this is how I did it. I was like, oh my God, it's about something greater than myself. And whenever I'm in an argument with my wife and I want to go back to my avoidant patterns and run, I can go and self-soothe, lean into real, the deep inner introspective work, and then decide who I'm being as my identity that I've created, which is different from the identity that I was before, which was the sage on the stage who just wanted all the validation and wanted you know, and I was, you know, going through a divorce. So I was making my way through a lot of different women and needed that validation because of my mother wounds. But from there to actually being like, look, I want my son to feel safe and secure in himself and not have to feel like he has to abandon himself to belong anywhere, that he can speak his authentic truth and that he knows that his mom and I have his back and that we will hold him accountable to individuating and to, 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 to feel the frustrations of the world and to know that there's always a safe place at home. That's a cycle break. Someone who takes responsibility. Whenever my wife and I get into an argument, I take responsibility for my part and she is taking responsibility for her own part and getting better and better and learning more and more as I learn more and more. And every time I have a conflict, I'm able to turn it into deeper intimacy because safe relationships are critical right now in this fucking dystopian world of mass psychosis where we've never been more divided. And so that's why 
I'm here. And that's why it's really important for me to help bust those myths, those, those blind spots. Number one, false dichotomy. It's not a false dichotomy. You are exactly the narcissist and the codependent both. You just have, have the same wound expressed exactly opposite and perfect match for one another. Number two, um, what was number two that I had said? I have it right here. Uh, number two is that um, you can't separate codependency from trauma. That's a blind spot. Stop trying to deal with codependency. Just focus on the post-traumatic stress injuries from childhood, which is number three then, which is you must, uh, you must, you must address that from the body perspective. The blind spot is talking, 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 telling the story once a week is not going to heal from the codependency. Telling your victim story of the horrific narcissist that he is every single week or on these fucking forums of, of professional victims are not going to, they're, they're good to help you if you're in a state of despair and you now see that there's other people. So these support groups are good from getting you like out of despair right? 12 step, all of that stuff. When you are like rock bottom, start there. After about two years, you'll start to smell something really funny. These people who've been here 20 years are still identifying with their, with their abuser. 20 years later, they built a fucking monument and enshrined them. Don't they have an identity other than a survivor? Do I want to be a survivor of something? Do I want to identify myself with an event or a person? Do I want to make that my identity? What? What? Talk about enslavement. Who's enslaving who? After two years. Okay, good. In the beginning, all right. Vent, vent, vent. Say me too. Okay, I'm not the only one. All right, now what? Now what? This next step is for the now what people. You might not be there yet, depending on where you are. Great, have at it. You'll have a lot of people to choose from. A lot of different communities that will keep perpetuating your narrative. But there is a very, very high likelihood, just showing, t t talking about research, that venting and displaying your anger publicly and repeating your story continuously activates your uh, adrenaline and cortisol, which is highly addictive. And it becomes an addiction. So now you become addicted to your identity of a martyr, of a victim. Be careful. That's not good for you. It's, it's, it's destroying our culture. And uh, I, I really want to talk to people ready for the next level. Um, and the number three is going deep into the body and healing that. And the, the blind spot is by talking and venting, we think we're actually doing the work. That's not the real work. Most healing work that most of us that I did before I went this deep was just coping strategies find somebody that's going to actually help you heal, make yourself a priority and make this year be different. That's my message. And it's an opportunity for anybody in clubhouse, uh, to jump on and, uh, ask any questions or have a share. This is a good opportunity. I'm not sure if, uh, if this landed for you. Um, I miss live events because if I wasn't doing a live event, I could actually look at your faces see if you're giving me the finger saying, fuck you, Nima, or wow, that was um, relevant. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm not sure. Let me know. Uh, I'll read the comments. If, if you haven't already, make sure you jump into my Facebook community, Trigger Proof. 
uh, and I'm, I'm doing a Facebook Live simultaneously. So go ahead and write your biggest takeaway, any comments. There'll be a link there for those of you who want to apply. Um, you have to fit, fit those criteria, though. Um, otherwise, it, you know, uh, just find the means to the resources within yourself Keep listening, keep staying within the conversation, and then create a vision for yourself and decide, Am I, uh, do I deserve it? Do I deserve to live a life where I have a mutual, where I have mutual connections with people? Um, and if you're single and you're wanting to get back into a relationship, the big challenge is, you know, you're fearing getting into a relationship in codependency, you probably avoid because you don't, you haven't had the experience where you have somebody and have yourself at the same time. So you want to avoid intimacy. And so that's a way to protect yourself. So my, my invitation for you is to lean in to the discomfort and, and dare to be ambitious, to grow this year, to learn the skills, uh, and so that you can be adaptable to this new dystopian world that we find ourselves in. And the invitation is there for you to, to jump in. And if you feel called, um, Send me a DM and uh, let me know uh, why you think that you're, you'd be ready and why, you know, you're ready to face your fears. And then let's see, let's see how you do it. But those are the three blind spots. There's not a lot of people talking about it. Uh, I really want to acknowledge Sam, Professor Sam Vaknin, who uh, is a, uh, probably one of the world's most foremost experts on narcissism. He wrote the book on it. He came up with the name narcissistic abuse and Richard, Richard Grannon, who is a life coach who follows him as well. And they talk a lot about, um, this stuff and, uh, they helped, uh, you know, their research was what I, I'm not a researcher, um, was what I was able to put together and into my integrated model and now actually deliver results for people and big love. If Richard, you're listening to this, I know you haven't been able to solve your codependency, even though you love teaching about it. I've solved it. I'm happy to help you reach out to me. <laughs> I'd love to get on a call with you and tell you what's missing. Cause I believe I found the solution. It's not easy. Um, but if you're willing to do the work, you can resolve it. You just got to say, you got to decide, you know, what happens if I don't change, you know, we all deserve love. That's mutual. That feels nourishing and you do. And I want you to, you know, as you're listening, I want you to know you deserve it. You just have to believe that you do. So anybody would like to share in this group? Uh, we see, uh, I know if you, if you feel shy to raise your hand, that's okay. I would love to hear any one of you jump in and share. Go ahead and raise your hand. If not, if not, we can call it a night and go Go for a nice little walk with my wife and son in the snow. It's been snowing in, uh, it's been snowing in uh, Vancouver. All right. Thank you so much. See you at the next perfect time.